Okay, welcome. This is um, the class on terminology in um, agriculture. Uh, there's a lot of confusing terminology. A lot of it more or less means the same thing. A lot of it means something totally different than what it sounds like. Um, I've named my talk Conventional Organic Biodynamic, What Does It Mean? Um, I'm Sean Spidell. I'm the farm manager at Castle Valley Farms at Daystar Adventist Academy. This? I need that off? Okay. And um, I'm not the expert on this terminology, nor am I the most prepared for this talk, but it is what it is. I hope I can kind of... The concepts is what I'm trying to get across. The terminology can be... I mean, you can spend a lot of time... When I got into this, I thought, well, there's not that much terminology, but there is quite a bit out there. Um, it says in Matthew 10:16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Why don't we pray? Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for um, blessing us, Lord, with truth, that you don't leave us in ignorance, that um, you do have ways, Lord, for us to be in spiritual health and physical health and um, not support uh, the devil in any way possible. We just ask, Lord, that you would um, guide the discussion today and uh, what I have to share. I just pray, Lord, that it's clear and coherent. In your name, amen. So the way that Christ teaches us, the way he taught Adam is walking side by side. You know, the way he taught Enoch was walking side by side. Uh, the way Moses was taught was out there herding sheep. Um, John the Baptist lived out of the city. He did not live in the hustle and bustle of the city. Um, there's a lot that can be done just with observation. A lot of things can be done that way. You know, he, uh, the way he walked with the two on their way back from Emmaus, you know, that... That's how the Lord communicates, is, is directly. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his, his fruit in a season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Um, my, The thing I, right now in life, the thing that I enjoy about the Lord the most is that it's only, he's only one God, and his ways are only one way. <laughs> uh, to me, that's a, great, that's a great boundary in life, you know, where you know, we can actually meditate on his law, whether it's the moral code or whether it's the natural code. There are principles, the same principles in, in the scriptures of following the Lord, you know, in all of his ways. I think they work in the natural sense as well. Um, So it, to me, it just explains and it exemplifies the goodness of God, how he doesn't, um, he doesn't leave us hanging. There, there are answers to everything. You know, as it says in Proverbs, 
22, I believe, it, it says, um, a curse causeless, the curse causeless shall not come. There's a reason if we're diseased. I mean, I'm not, maybe I have terminal cancer in me. I have no idea, you know. But, you know, we have a friend that has cancer. And, you know, these things, they're kind of the nature of the world that we live in. But some of these things, I believe, can be avoided. Um, So some disclaimers is, I'll just kind of read them. It says, I have formed an opinion on the various growing disciplines from my journey from chemical farming to organic slash compost tea. That was more of an interest, you know, for a couple years to the Reams method to the biology enabling Albrecht side of things. Um, so I've, I've come out of, uh, I grew nursery stock at one nursery in Washington state. And it was a very, you know, it was, it was a chemically driven nursery. I've managed an orchard in Michigan in college, and it was chemically driven. A lot of our a lot of our revenue went right back into chem, buying chemicals for the next year. Uh, none of this focuses on what's causing the problem in the beginning. Um, the organic mindset thinks, well, it's just the biology, and you got all these toxic chemicals. Uh, and once you solve all that, then health will come. But health doesn't come. Some of the some of the worst produce on the shelves, from what grocery store owners say is organic produce. They say their best produce could be about 20% is the organic stuff and the worst, the best stuff. And the worst stuff, um, 80% is the um, organic stuff. So just because something is organic does not mean it's safe. It doesn't test out nutrient-wise. So I am not against using compost as it will sound and may sound, but it is just a tool in the toolkit needed to fix the soil, not the entire toolkit. It's just one of the tools. Sometimes it should be used with varying degrees and sometimes another tool should be used. So this standpoint is backed by the predictability of colloids in the soil, believe it or not. So a colloid is just a little particle in the soil that has charged surfaces, the nutrients attached to them, and depending on the nutrient and the size of the nutrient will determine whether that colloid separates or whether it compacts it together. So if you have a compacted soil, regardless of whether it's organic or whether it's conventionally grown, biology can't thrive. So air, is the, air and water have to be able to enter and exit fairly freely. Um, another disclaimer, be open and cautious to new truth, but typically truth is simple, logical, and even mathematical and predictable. Uh, just be aware of this. And then, as with all error, there is a measure of truth. So there's a number of, there's a number of growing methods out there that, um, boy, they have a lot of truth in them. But they don't have some foundational things. Like, like for instance, one of our foundational truths is the righteousness of Christ. I mean, I was like, I mean, how do you do Christianity without that? You, you just can't. Uh, there's some things like that that are just so invigorating and provide so much life and air into our souls that you just can't do without it you know it's the christ our righteousness is is you know lifting up christ is the biggest thing that we have as a church to do so there is one there is some truth in all methods but i believe there is a singular truth as there is one true god um you know just just the way that 
we as parents work with our kids and kind of teach them. I think the Lord wants to sit with us and kind of teach us some of these things um, because he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So there's this controversy out there, and I see this uh, coming into the Adventist church. Um, I, I want to I kind of make it a little clearer what's going on. It seems like there's a local and organic crowd, and then there's, um, you know, viewing all chemical conventional growers as like everything is totally toxic and nothing you could eat could ever be nutritional. But the fact of the matter is some of the, I'm not, I'm not ever going to say that, you know, chemicals are safe. They're not safe. But some of the fertilizers like ammonium sulfate, I just gave a class on nutrients. Some of these fertilizers are not toxic. They're not toxic in any way, shape or form. But we lump them together because we call them man-made. Um, well, this is a man-made structure. Is it toxic? Well, there might be some things off-gassing, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm not going to get into the details about that. I mean, maybe there's formaldehyde out of sheetrock. I guess there's no sheetrock, but you know, there's there's some of the. You know, I've heard this from several soil consultants that I've sat through and listened to and asked these questions. But where they, I ask them you know, who are your best growers? And they almost always say those, the conventional growers that are focused also on the making sure the biology has what it needs. So if you have a compacted soil and you're pushing an NPK, whether nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, if you're pushing it into the plant in an organic fashion or a conventional fashion, I mean, both are wrong. Um, you know, both are honestly equally wrong like like this picture here of the pharisee who's saying you know thank you lord for that i'm not like this other man and he's pointing his finger you know and this can be the organic purist pointing his finger back at the conventional grower saying boy you've got it all wrong you've got it all wrong but in reality he could be he's just as wrong if not if not more so um so there's confusion on every angle you know the the devil he doesn't want to see the church be a stronghold of truth. You know, he wants to provide confusion. And even if it's a 1% to 5% level of confusion, that's still confusion. You know, not until in Acts, uh, what is it, Acts 2 or 3, you know, where they came together and they prayed in one accord and they confessed their faults one to another. Not until they did all this where they have one accord and had the same mind. So the balance, I believe, could be somewhere in the middle of these two extremes. Um, you know, we don't want to be out there, you know, putting orthian on every little bug that crawls around or putting, you know, uh, simazine or something out there for, as an herbicide. We, we want to make sure that we have a nutritional approach and we focus on providing life to people. Um, so in a lot of ways, we have to test and see what makes sense. Um, I believe... I'm fairly, no, not fairly, I'm very convicted that the Lord made us out of the soil for a very good purpose. Um, you know, a lot of us are working with dirt when we arrive to something. You know, a lot of times it's better to start with dirt than something that where somebody feels it's been fixed already, like a garden soil that's gotten 20 years of compost and manures. Uh, those are a lot harder to fix than just raw dirt. Dirt is where we want to start. Um, but it first needs the framework to become soil, to grow much life. You know, a lot of times in the soil, you'll see, 
You'll see it growing weeds really well. Well, weeds don't have a specific fungus called mycorrhiza on their roots. And so they, um, you know, they, 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 really can't, they really can't do much except some of the primary making dirt, changing the dirt a little bit into soil, but they really can't form the soil. Um, dirt will grow, won't grow crops well. Dirt is difficult to work for various reasons that are just explained right here. You know, sometimes it's just a matter of having way too much of a nutrient, way too little of another. You know, if, you can, if, a, if the dirt can't breathe, it's going to stay as dirt. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anything else if it can't breathe. Uh, if it's low in carbon or humus, um, it, it doesn't hold water, has wild temperature swings, um, it won't feed the biology. So my advice is just start with the dirt. But, you know, unlike Saul, you know, there is one medium that, that we need to work with, and that, that is the soil. You know, we're called... Um, the soil is the mixture of minerals, organic matter, gases, liquids, and countless organisms that together support life on Earth. Soil is a natural body known as the pedosphere in which performs four important things. It is a medium for plant growth. It is a means of water storage, supply, and purification. It is a modifier of the atmosphere of the earth. It is a habitat for organisms, all of which, in turn, modify the soil. I think that's a pretty good definition of what soil is. Um, we are the husbandmen, and we create the framework for workers to come. You know, so at our school, we're trying to create the framework so the students can thrive and they have something to share when they do leave the school. But there's another set of workers we don't a lot of times don't think about, and that's what's growing in the, in the soil. So if we do our work right, we can grow and multiply those critters in the soil pretty quickly. So the husbandman is called to take the dirt and make it into soil. It's like raising up... For instance, look at the Adventist church, how it started. It started as a very small movement of people, and it was raised up with the power of God to produce this movement we call the Adventist church. The husbandman is not necessarily called to grow without soil, but to study the soil and know how to build it up to produce the healthy plants. So regardless of what avenue we take, um, sometimes there's a couple ways of doing kind of the same thing, and they kind of, they, but whatever the avenue is, they need to produ be producing healthy plants. So the term pedogenesis is the creating soil from dirt. You know, you're creating, you're, you're birthing soil, you're creating it. And that's what the Lord did when he established the earth here. So some of the processes, uh, some of the factors and processes for making soil, you've got climate. You can modify climate and speed things up or slow things down. Organisms, you know, you've got some organisms that release phosphate out of the soil. And there's other organisms, like when the soil thaws, the um, actinomycetes come into action and they start making nit nitrogen for the plants. Uh, the topography, whether it's highly sloped, you know, sometimes you have to level something so it doesn't, when you have that 14-inch rainfall, like it sounds like can happen, uh, you have a way to not wash everything away. Uh, another factor is the parent material. You know, is it starting from a limestone base? which is calcium carbonate, or is it starting from 
a granite base, which typically has high magnesium, high potassium. And then the time. Um, some of the processes are, it's some things that, like the things you add, are you adding a fertilizer in the form of compost and manure? Are you not doing anything and just pulling off of that soil? Are you just harvesting off, off, off year and year out? Are you transferring things to the soil from another part of your farm? Like we have 200 acres and some of it's certified organic. Since we can't use nitrogen harvested out of the air by man, uh, some of these things we may in time have to grow on certain pieces of land and then harvest it and move it to the organic sides of things. I'm not doing that right now, but that may be something in the future. And then another process, you know, is if a nutrient starts in a locked up state and transforms into a plant available state. So that's how soils are formed. And every soil in every place is different. Um, it's like the difference between me and you and you. We're quite different characteristically. So here's a picture of two of, well, I've got two kids, and some of these other kids in the other picture are um, some other kids on campus. But each of them have a character. They're all different. They all honestly need to be worked with in a little different way, but the outcome is the character of Christ in them. You know, and as, as Christ works with different people using the skills that the Lord gave, you know, the, his heavenly father gave him, this is how I believe we are to work um, with the soils around us. It says, Adama is Hebrew for soil. It stands to reason that part of our development is to understand what we are created from. Perhaps soils are like us in a degenerated state, but each unique, having much potential to be restored. Instead of replacing the soil, perhaps soil should be understood to know how to manage it like God manages us. Each soil is unique, but each soil, like children, express the best of their characters within the same boundaries. So, so the same laws. Like, I'm happiest when I'm following all Ten Commandments. You're happiest when you're following all ten. And you have the, the law of God written on your heart. The method of reestablishing those boundaries will be for you to d decide. So, I don't have all truth. I never will have all truth, but the Lord does have all truth. Where we're starting with is, at our Castle Valley farm soil, is this red and sandy-ish, uh, I guess kind of a loam or clay, and it, clay soil, and it crusts over pretty easily. Um, we've got these characteristics. It's a, a medium exchange capacity. Uh, it's about an 80% calcium, 10% magnesium on the exchange sites of the soil. So it's the second of the best um, soil types. It's uh, at the lower phosphorus, low potassium, low boron. Uh, it's high in sulfur, sodium, and bicarbonates from the water. It's very low in iron. And you'll notice that in the foreground, it's pretty red stuff. But that's manganese. That is not, that is not iron. I mean, maybe it's iron oxide, but it's a high mang manganese soil on the soil test. And the plants look like they're a little bit iron-stressed. The soil is low in copper, zinc, molybdenum, cobalt, and humus. So here we go on the organic side. Now we're talking about humus. Um, it has a low worm count due to low root exudates and humus. So since the plants don't have their full nutrition, then they can't 
have full nutrition for the biology growing right on the root hairs. They can't pump out into the root system what they need to do to grow more humus. So they're just kind of, they reach a equilibrium. They only hit a certain limit. So some of the things we're doing on our farm is we're adding in the missing nutrients. Uh, we're creating our own low calcium compost for the organic soils. Uh, we're adding extra irrigation due to the dry climate, but mostly to prevent salts in the water from accumulating. Uh, we're keeping our soil surface moist during seedling emergence, and we're inoculating seed with mycorrhiza to make sure that there's a spore or propagule right there for as the seed germinates. That way that fungus can get on there, latch on, and benefit the plant and start growing some carbon. And we will be cover cropping in time. So these are things that we're doing. And notice I haven't said a word about permaculture. I haven't said a word about, you know, organic. I guess I have said a word about organic. But there's, there's things that I, I tend to try to take principles and not get latched onto one thing. So my recommendation is kind of study what you're starting with. If you're starting with the soil, look at it. Uh, Dr. Albrecht said, William Albrecht said, you can't manage what you can't measure. And there's a lot of truth in that. There's another soil man called uh, Dr. Kerry Reams. He said, see what you look at. I mean, these are good, this is good counsel to have. So what you see in the soil here on the right um, is a piece of gypsum. We have gypsum in our soil as chunks. And it's not the same gypsum you would apply to your field. It's a different gypsum. Uh, your best gypsum is calcium sulfate dihydrate. This is probably a monohydrate or anhydrous. I don't know if anhydrous is naturally occurring. but So this is something that we can pick out pretty easily. This is, a, this, is, this is an issue I've never had to work with before. I have another grower friend that is trying to grow bananas. And what he's doing is he's measuring the character of his soil. He sees the soil. He knows that he drowned a third of his bananas the first year. But, and now we have some proof. Now we're measuring it so we know what to actually do. So his, one of the biggest problems is his base saturation of calcium is 33%. This is down in uh, Columbia. His magnesium is 6%. That's not going to grow any kind of plant. I mean, you could add compost until the cows come home and um, you know, and this is in a forested area, you know, the top little bit is black and everything else is this heavy clay down there. So it's been, there's decomposition that's been happening for eons and eons and eons, and it still hasn't built up the soil. Um, if you look in a National Geographic magazine, probably from about 10 years ago, they talked about biochar. This was like the first big thing where they started talking about biochar, but biochar helps the organisms have a home and it helps to make a spot for phosphorus to attach onto so it's available to the plants. So some of these things you can kind of grow a soil, but in all reality, it's a step in the right direction, but I, they, haven't reached, they haven't reached full production of like many, many tons of bananas per acre on those kind of soils. Um, so this, this man is... Uh, this man is going to be needing to fix the character of his soil. You know, kind of like the Lord works into us and takes out of us what we need and don't need. 
and then to grow the fruit and to grow the crop, then he's going to be having to make sure specifically, if you look at this little chart, he specifically has to look at the removal rate of potassium and nitrogen. And everything else, um, those are the two big ones. But potassium, you know, the removal is about 778 kilos per hectare. That's a lot of potassium. And that's in a 50 ton per hectare um, crop of bananas. Now, why am I telling you all this? I haven't even gotten into any kind of terminology. Well, I think the important, the foundational principles is like, you know, let the Lord show you what's right. You know, don't get caught up in a lot of other things. But if a soil test is saying this, and it's proven to be repeatable, um, you know, some of the other things can just be some additional, you know, some of the permaculture um, principles are really good. Some of the even biodynamic things that they do, I wouldn't even say the principles, but some of the things they do are probably good. But when in reality, a lot of what we need is just the core elements of life. We need the cobalt in our diet. You know, we need the manganese. Well, we need the law of God written inside of us. So, his ideal soil is, the character of the soil should be a 68% calcium and a 12% magnesium, and he's very, very, very far off target. Um, A lot of folks don't tend to like a soil test because it kind of identifies a problem. And sometimes we don't like to look at our problems. We believe we're doing things right, but when in reality, like like sometimes my wife, I hope she doesn't listen to this, but my wife will say, um, you know, you could have handled that better. And she's right, you could have handled that better. So she is the lens into my life that I can't see if I'm standing right in front of it. If you're standing right in front of something, even if you love that something, you can't see it the, the same way. And... So the nutrient resources we have, whether what, whatever system you're doing is uh, you've got nutrients in the water, you've got it in the soil, you've got it where you can mine it, you've got compost and manures, and you get it out of the air. So those are the, the five basic areas. And in the soil, I'll say there's available nutrients and there's unavailable nutrients. So regardless of whether you're heavily into permaculture, permaculture or heavily into uh, back to Eden method of mulching on top of the soil. It, it really doesn't matter as long as you're trying to make a healthy plant so that you're healthy in the end. Um, our job essentially is to restore, I guess our job is probably to restore the land so it glorifies the Lord you know, as the Lord restores us. So some, you know, just some basic things that um, restore things, you know, a stirrup hoe to wipe out weeds. That's pretty simple. That That's not really a mindset where it's kind of a following and this following only does this thing, this following does this thing. This thing just, it wipes out a problem. You know, there's a key line plow to open up the soil and start gathering water deep down in the soil. You know, that's a, it's a good principle. You know, open up the ground so it can breathe, but it's not really opening it. It's just creating nice slices in the ground. Um, something, are, something that at the beginning, when I was more on the organic side of things, this was, you know, there's no organic phosphorus source that doesn't have 20% calcium or more. 
And uh, what a lot of people have come up with is like, if you need phosphorus, it's monoammonium phosphate. You know, 1152O, that's a good source. Um, to restore, you, you know, we need to add carbon back into the system. Does it mean that we take carbon in very unnatural amounts and take it from a lot of land to concentrate it on a little bit of land? It could. There may not be anything wrong with that. But um, one of the easiest ways is probably just cover cropping where they can take the carbon dioxide out of the air with a full mineral diet and they pump more carbon into the soil. So this, to me, is restorative agriculture. I think I'm going to run out of time here. The father of organic uh, is J.I. Rodell. He was born in 1898 of Jewish origin, died in 1971 on a talk show. Uh, he was a prolific publisher and writer. Uh, he really labored to get folks using compost and manures instead of artificial fertilizers. I don't know the, the history on this, but he was part of the Friends of the Land movement, where you had J.I. Rodell, the two main people that, in my opinion, are J.I. Rodell, who believed that everything must be natural, nothing could be man-made. Um, and then you also had William Albrecht, those were the two primary people that came out of that movement. Um, he, you know, J.I. Rodell identified a huge problem. You had everybody who was spraying everything else. You know, they were using lead arsenate. I mean, how, how ridiculous is that? I mean, nowadays, I mean, you, you take a, a Geiger counter up to that stuff, and it's like it's going to go off because there's radioactive isotopes. So, you know, they were spraying nicotine. Um, you know, he, was, he lived during the DDT era. Um, you know, so his strive was for chemical-free. Is there anything wrong with being chemical-free? No. That's really a great thing. Being chemical-free is, is really what we should strive for. But even Rodale, at the end of his life, he recognized that he couldn't get the best plant health and probably, he realized, not the best animal health um, by ignoring the soil nutrients. You know, there is a character of the soil in the inert areas that affects the biological areas. Um, like I said in my last talk, clay chemistry is very repeatable. Um, so some folks, you know, they go into hydroponic soil. You know, let's just, you know, there's, we got this world, everything's contaminated. Let's just, let's just do without soil or, or let's, let's see if we can increase the yield. Um, I think it's a cool thing. I, I like hydroponics pretty well. Uh, it's a method of growing plants in a nutrient solution, and it may or may not include inert substrates. But did God provide soil to grow our food? He did. Yes. I hear a yes out there. Did God form us out of Adama, which is soil? Yes. Can water solutions provide all mineral nutrition and microbial metabolite nutrition? So all the things the microbes are making in the soil where plants can take them up directly or be on the surface of a carrot root or something, can hydroponics replace that? Yeah, you, you have to add minerals. It's not just water. And I, and I say I don't think so. Do I have a lot of data to back it up? No. But if the Lord designed us out of soil and if... Like, for instance, if we're to strive to understand, like you, how do I save you in the Lord's kingdom? 
Should we not try to strive to figure out a soil because a soil will help us make the right choices because the food will be healthier? Should we not strive to understand what the Lord has already given to us? Is hydroponics cool and profitable? Yes, no doubt. There's also aquaponics. Um, I haven't heard anybody talking about hydroponics and aquaponics, and I put this, a lot of this talk together a couple months ago. And I don't hear anybody talking about it, so maybe it's not a big issue. But in the cities, people talk about aquaponics quite a bit. It's cool. Um, it's a method of growing fish or uh, plants in a fish poo nutrient solution and may or may not include rooting substrates. Um, but is fish fertilizer great stuff? Yes. Does fish fertilizer provide nutrients in sufficient quantity to meet the needs of all the plants? And I say I don't think so. Did God put in hydroponic or aquaponics into the garden at the inception? Yes, but typically not our primary nutrient sources. These were carbonaceous things like water lettuce, water hemp, or water hyacinth. These things that are not protein for us as, I mean, we're made in God's image. I mean, you know, he's, he's designed for us the highest quality food that, that we require to be in his image. Um, you know, as Dr. William Albrecht puts it, proteinaceous food. We need this kind of food. It doesn't mean we feast on just protein, but it means our food has full nutrition. And then I'll skip that next one so we can get on to the next one. One man that I really admire, but I really also, after following this movement for about three or four years, I really do disagree with is uh, Dr. Kerry Reams. Um, he was an Adventist for a time. He was a Sabbath keeper, I believe, for the majority of his life. Um, he was an agronomist and a doctor of sorts who, the report is that he healed quite a few people just by changing their body chemistry. And can we heal ourselves by changing body chemistry? And I, I say yes. But, but he did not use the total exchange capacity and the base saturation percents as he used plant-available nutrients determined by the Morgan extractant. When he did a soil test, he used the Morgan extractant. He had a small but very supportive following of people. And the goal, I mean, there's about eight, I agree with about 80% of what, what he did. But the goal is always to produce high bricks, nutrient-dense food that doesn't rot in storage but dehydrates. And did he do this on a number of occasions? Yes, he did. Um, he wrote a book called The Curse Causeless Shall Not Come. He always recommended seeing what you look at. I mean, these are, I, you know, I can support a lot of these principles. But my opinion from my experience and from what I've heard from other growers and what I've heard from um, several people is that, you know, the calcium gets super high in the soil, the phosphorus gets super high in the soil, and um, nutrients don't just show up on their own. Like magnesium, I was told, would just show up in my soil. It doesn't just show up in your soil. Um, there is magnesium in the clays, but if you're in a, some soil types, they just, just don't have it. It's not like the upper Midwest where you have, you'll never have to add magnesium to a lot of those soils. Um, he was supposed to have been very close to William Albrecht. And I believe... There's a lot of principles in this movement that are worth taking, but there's a lot that I would avoid. Specifically, um, 
the nutrient recommendations. I will just go over one other thing, and I think that'll be about our time. I have till 12? Really? Can somebody look? 11.45. Oh, okay. There's a, an approach called the Back to Eden approach. Has anybody listened to this? I really like this man. I really like his, like, what he says. Um, his, logic is, his logic is pretty good. Um, he lives, you need to understand a little bit of this, though. He lives in Squim, Washington, where they get, like, 8 to 15 inches of water a year. I don't know what he gets right on his property. It's kind of a banana belt of the western side of Washington. It's a very gravelly, drained soil. It's very drained. He doesn't have high magnesium soil. But I've done enough landscaping to know that when you mulch some of these subsoils in like Lincoln, Nebraska, which is where I'm from, these are high magnesium soils. They're, they're sticky and slimy. They can't breathe. And when you mulch over the top of it, they become a swamp. They do become a swamp. Now, when the organic matter does break down, does it loosen it up? Yes, it does to an extent. Um, but it still doesn't drain like the ideal calcium and magnesium. 68% calcium, 12% magnesium. So if you're on a large farm, do, is there a way to practice intent, you know, lots of mulching across a large area? Let's say you're in Utah. We've got 200 acres on our farm. We've got juniper trees around us. We've got trees up in the mountains. Is there really a financially feasible way of doing this? No, there, there really is not. Is the principle of covering the soil biblical? Yes. So if, if, I, take a, if I went out there and I took a scraper, a land scraper, to, sorry about that, and just scraped across it, would something not start occupying that spot in the next couple of years? Seeds would blow around. The Lord designed that the earth would be covered. Um, I think the big, the big potential, what I've, I've heard other people messing up their soils. I've seen a lot of landscape soils where the plants literally drowned in these heavy clay soils by mulching on top. I've, I've killed some trees by planting them too deep. So in Lincoln, you know, in these... New development sites, they love to run scrapers over everything. And they think, they, they think they're in a hilly city and they need to do this. So they take all the topsoil off and it never comes back. And then you're planting out there and the, your tree, you've got this ball that's, you know, it's about this from the table up, it's about this tall. And you plant this thing about that height. So you're like way above the ground so the thing can breathe. You know, Chicago's actually even worse. They have a higher magnesium soil so it's even more tight. So magnesium tightens, calcium loosens. Um, I've heard a number of reports of people doing really well with this approach, really well. But I've heard a number of reports of people doing really poorly, how it ruins their garden. Um, I love this man's biblical um, counsel that he gives as he, as he does this video. Um, you have to remember also that um, William Albrecht did a lot of animal studies. And even though a plant is green and it's a very photosynthetic plant, it doesn't mean it's a biosynthetic plant. It's producing full proteins. It's producing some of these secondary plant metabolites. So just because something is really green, 
and, you know, you're given it the NPK type of approach, uh, it doesn't mean it's nutri nutrient dense. You know, and this is why, like, our food quality is declining is because we're growing 300 bushel corn. I can't read that. 10? Okay. You're, you know, they're growing 300 bushel corn, but they're pushing yield instead of feeding the soil to feed the plant. So Eden, I don't believe, was mulched. Um, I believe that there was plants and there was carbon from the plants exiting the root system just like we have today. Um, I believe that, you know, if, if a leaf broke off, it broke down really quickly, you know, in the ground. You know, this is my system of covering the earth is, is with plants. Oops, I'm sorry about that. And I didn't realize that was a link. There's a link that shows up if you want to see other people's comments from the Adagra folks. Last year's magazine has an article on back, the Back to Eden approach. But again, there's a lot of good. There's a lot of good with the approach. There's a, we live in the Moab area and um, everybody wants local produce. Everyone wants local produce. They want it organic. They, they really want it just chemical-free, but they use the word organic to mean chemical-free, and I think that's a good thing. Um, they, but there's this idea that local must be always best. Um, it's definitely going to be fresher, but is it always going to be more nutritious? The freshness adds a lot of nutrition, but if, you have a, um, if you've got a great grower of carrots up in British Columbia that's doing everything that they can do, nutrient-wise for that plant, and somebody else has a soil that's completely off-target, is local really better? No, it really, really is not better. Um, I believe that, that soils are very imbalanced, and there's nutrients all around the world that can be mined and taken from point A to point B and redistributed. And as part of that is, you know, it's like taking a trash pile, like we've been cleaning up our campus taking a trash pile, taking it to another place, just getting it off the campus. There's some things, if you have a brush pile, well, sometimes you can just spread it out and mow it in and it's done. You know, if you have a lack of boron, you know, it comes from boron, California, or it comes from Turkey, or it comes from Chile. It's basically one of three places around the world. And you add boron to your soil and you're back, you're actually reestablishing the potential to do local produce for a lot longer. Um, so, my feeling is that local is not always best, um, but that we should be we should be striving for nutrient density in all of our produce. Anyway, something stalled out. Let's just go over a couple things. Uh, we have a few minutes. Permaculture. Does anybody practice permaculture? It's kind of the same in some ways as the back to Eden approach, taking lots of carbon materials and piling it on the land and tilling it into the land, getting a lot of soil life. And you have to remember some of the soil life, it needs a specific thing like earthworms that need a lot of bacteria. But just because something has a lot of bacteria doesn't mean it's going to grow a healthy plant. Um, I've been to a permaculture institute up in Colorado, and I was interested for a time in looking into spraying compost tea. Now, uh, compost tea is a great thing. But if your soil chemistry is so out of balance that the organisms won't thrive long term, 
it's not really a great value to people. It's kind of shortchanging them. But um, I was at this permaculture institute that had been going for 25 or 30 years. And you'd think by now they have everything lined out pretty much. But, you know, they've got loads of compost. The earthworms are everywhere. They've got all this. They've got a, a bunch of organisms. You look in there, there's predatory mites just scurrying around. And there's centipedes and millipedes and, you know, all sorts of life. But just because it's the low forms of life doesn't mean it supports all life. So there was a lot of diseases, a lot of insects on the plants in there. And what had happened, what happens in typically on a small scale organic area is the tendency that, well, a more, you know, we started with a little bit and we started putting it on and it worked really well. It worked really well. So it doesn't matter if this is permaculture or organic or, or whatever. Um, compost is a tool in the toolkit. If you're starting on a high phosphate soil, that, the last thing you want to do is put manure on. That's the very last thing. Like, but with this permaculture institute, they, had, uh, they must have had really high potassium because it looked, the plants just looked way off to me. They were green. They had big leaves but they weren't growing protein. They weren't growing a lot of protein per acre. Um, and we need to focus on maximizing the biosynthetic nutrition so that we grow as much protein per acre as we can. Um, so long story short is, I mean, I, you know, it was kind of eye-opening for me to see that you know, all this organic matter, all these practices from a teaching institution, and it still wasn't right. So if something is diseased, you know, something is still wrong internally. The inside, the outside expresses what's on the inside. Um, I, I have some books that I could probably show you, but um, there's um, the concept of biodynamics. I'll just tell people just stay clear of that. It's spiritualism in gardening form. I would just say stay, stay clear of it. I'm just going to say it out there clearly so everybody hears it. It's, it's intriguing. Some of their principles are correct. It's like truth and error. There's a mixture. But I would say just stay away from it. It is spiritualism. In, it's pantheism is what it is. Anytime you put where nature can heal itself, I, I believe that's pantheism. Um, I don't believe nature can heal itself. I think it'll reestablish a, a balance of some sort, but it won't actually heal itself. You know, it's like, like us. I'm not going to heal me. Uh, the Lord is going to heal me. He has to step in in order for me to be healed. And I forgot to set my books out. There's, there's an approach that seems to be growing, praise the Lord, in our movement of people. And that's the Albrecht approach to balancing soils. And I'll just spend a couple minutes on that. But I, I believe this is the closest thing we have to reestablishing health in the ground. Um, and I believe the results speak for themselves. And I believe if you just ask growers that are following the true Albrecht side of things, I believe that they'll, they'll say the same thing. They have to me anyway. Um, I see that there's a lot of noise and a lot of confusion and things. And sometimes it's a simple element of life that, that gets missed. And sometimes we just need to add that element of life and not complicate anything with try to make the compost add all the nitrogen you need when in reality it's more of a phosphate fertilizer than it is a nitrogen fertilizer. So a book that I would recommend as part of your gardening 
information is Neil Kinsey's Hands-On Agronomy. Uh, there are other books I would recommend, but this is one that will get you started understanding how soils work, um, why weeds proliferate, why weeds don't proliferate. Kinsey, K-I-N-S-E-Y. Hands-on agronomy. So, do you have any specific questions? I hope I haven't stepped on any toes, and I hope those listening later on, I haven't stepped on toes, but I, I do think that sometimes there's truth, and sometimes there's error, and you just have to say it, so... He, I, I haven't found another person actually practicing the full Albrecht system. He's the one. He was trained by Albrecht. He is holding true to it. He's very. Uh, if you go to any of his classes, they're really well well worth going to. Uh, Bob Gregory does classes as well on gardening, and uses a similar system. So I mean, I think there's there's a ton of truth in just adding elements of life that bring life and that you can perpetuate life. But the idea of constantly adding organisms to the ground, I, I don't know that I could substantiate. Some of the best growers are those that practice uh, fairly chemical-free and uh, very biologically driven. You know, they're focused on the nutrition in the soil feeding the plant. And uh, the results pretty well speak for themselves. Any other questions before we pray? Yes. permaculture like permanent agriculture yep so there's principles from every discipline of agriculture that can be there's gems in every field but there's certain things that are central law you know it's like you can't change the law of god like i can't say well i really don't want sabbath anymore i'd like sunday back you know <laughs> i can't say that the fruit by their fruit you'll know them yeah, by, by the fruit, you'll know them. But, you know, if, again, there's principles, and that's where the Lord has given us a mind. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you so much for giving us a measure of your truth, Lord. And I just pray that we can um, uplift you in all that we say, all that we do, that we can um, gather all the truth there is, Lord, of... Um, healing this world, Lord, that, um, that we can use as a tool to minister to others around us. Just give us wisdom and discernment, Lord, because there's a lot of uh, winds of doctrine happening out there. I pray, Lord, that what I've said has been beneficial and that you've spoken through me. In your name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.